1: Welcome
2: to Turning Hard Time for Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City on this, the 13th day of July 2021. And we do want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to invite you all to uh, send whatever questions, comments, uh, criticisms, whatever you might have to say about our show. Send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com questions at number four taylor at gmail.com we also want to thank our sponsors for making this show without them there would be no show our sponsors this week are noble resources the resources irving resources hannon metals labrador gold corp lion one metals sk mining corp NV gold corp and firefox gold i've titled today's show between a rock and a hard place can the fed escape dr quentin henning patrick highsmith and alistair mcleod return as guests for today's show With foreigners no longer buying U.S. treasuries, the Fed finds itself between a rock and a hard place. Either it stops printing money and allows interest rates to rise to their free market levels so that investors will buy treasuries to fund the U.S. multi-trillion dollar annual deficits, or the Fed will have to continue hyperinflating the supply of dollars as it creates them out of thin air. If the Fed allows the markets to work and rates to rise, it would crash the U.S. financial markets and send the country into a depression, the likes of which have not been seen in the U.S. since the 1930s. And so we can be almost 100% sure that the Fed will kick the can down the road by continuing to print enormous amounts of money that is already threatening to send the U.S. economy into an inflationary spiral. The folks who believe inflation is a temporary problem will dealt, were dealt, certainly dealt a blow today with a 5.4% CPI statistic, that uh, was reported. This is the highest U.S. rate of inflation reported in the U.S. for the last 30 years. So we can be pretty certain that the dollar's purchasing power will continue to be destroyed at an accelerated rate. But how will stock, commodity, and housing prices respond? Those and more questions will be asked of Alistair during the second half of today's show. Hope for offsetting a loss of purchasing power comes in the form of owning gold and silver, of course, and owning the companies that discover and produce those metals and other commodities. So I'm happy to tell you that Patrick Highsmith will be with me to update us on Firefox Gold's very exciting gold exploration program in Finland. Uh, Patrick will be with me right after the first commercial break. But now I'm happy to tell you that Dr. Quentin Henning is with us right now. Uh, to provide an update on Lion One Metals. That's a company that is developing a very exciting high-grade alkaline gold project in Fiji. Lion One trades in Toronto, L-O, uh, LIO is a symbol, and the U.S. LOMLF. 156 million shares, $1.13 Canadian money earlier today when I last checked it, giving a market cap of around $176 million. Well, thank you, Dr. Quinton Henning, and uh, thank you so much for being with us again. Uh, to update us on two or 2 you are, uh, you are a technical advisor to the company and very much in tune with this uh, company and its alkaline uh, style project. So thank you for joining us again.
0: Absolute delight, Jay.
2: Well, you know, um, after Lion One, like many companies, but I think Lion One maybe more than many, was sort of delayed with the COVID virus. has sort of set it back more than some others. But now the news is starting to flow once again from uh, the company's Tuvatu project with some pretty impressive drill results. On July 7th, they they reported them. Uh, Can you give us an an update on what these latest drill results mean and perhaps a bigger picture of what the company is doing? I know uh, they have a three-tier approach. There's three different drill programs going on simultaneously essentially so could you give us an update on on the latest results and and what they mean
0: certainly look uh i'm going to set the stage by talking about the three tiers you mentioned uh the company does have six rigs rigs operating on site right now the uh the rigs include two uh deep capacity surface rigs these can drill holes uh in excess of one kilometer deep so they're they're testing uh, targets deep targets underneath the Tuvatu resource, but also going to be testing uh, deep targets under new areas that we have ident- identified. Namely, Banana Creek, which is about 3.5 kilometers northeast of Tuvatu. Uh, we're going to we're going to go out and kind of hunt lions, you know, big or elephants. I guess is a better term. Uh, hunt elephants in the in the big picture. Here, we want to find the the deep-rooted structures that we've identified by CSAMT test those see if we can't find some more high-grade feeders All right so that's one tier second tier of drilling uh shallow infill uh, rigs two two shallow surface rigs are doing infill drilling around the Tuvatu resource uh that drilling is geared towards uh identifying uh, areas for upcoming mining the the company is now moving the project towards uh production i think uh additions they have made here recently with with staff, you can see that they're very serious about uh, building a mine at Tuvatu. So those rigs are going to be working on an ongoing basis to to infill critical areas ahead of that mine plan. Uh, The last two rigs uh, are underground rigs, they're the rigs that are capable of doing infill around the Tuvatu resource but also reaching down and testing some of the deep areas. Uh, underneath the the existing two VATU resource, tapping those uh, high-grade structures that that were identified uh, beginning last year. All right, so we have those three tiers, uh, you know, deep uh, surface rig, two deep, or sorry, two shallow surface rigs, and then two underground rigs that are all going to be working in concert to undertake aggressive exploration throughout the remainder of this year. Uh, Now the results, Uh, we have uh, some significant results. From the deeper part of the system here, recently in this last news release, uh, there were two notable intercepts that really tell us that the the system is alive and well at depth. Uh, we have six meters grading nine point one one gram per ton gold, uh, beginning at about four hundred and forty four meters downhole depth in hole five twenty six, and then we have a two point one five meter intercept grading seventeen point seven gram per ton gold uh, at a depth of five hundred five meters point six five. Downhole depth in hole five two eight. Now, what do these mean? They, you know, they're uh, they're not just one off random intercepts. These are actually testing, uh, you know, very sizable extensions of known mm-hmm. loads in this system. So we're reaching down and we're testing uh, aggressively, testing uh, extensions at depth of these these loads, and we're finding them. We're we're actually able to to identify and uh, hit these things. Uh, what it means uh, to put it in perspective. Uh, the Tuvatu resource delivers about maybe 2,500 to 3,000 ounces per vertical meter. Mm-hmm. So, so by poking some holes down deep underneath the existing resource, you can start to see that the picture is going to uh, grow dramatically as we we go down below, and that's going to improve even more so as we get into mining. Put the decline down. Uh, put it, uh, you know, other access into drill from. Uh, we will be able to grow this deposit significantly over the coming years. It's really a good news story, you know, but I don't want to de-emphasize the the work that they're doing, uh, that we're doing uh, elsewhere on the property. I think by the end of this year, you're going to see that one deep capacity rig that's testing these new targets, Banana Creek included. Uh, I think they'll deliver some exciting results, and we we should see, we'll we'll call it the next two VATU and the next two VATU. You know, we'll see the whole thing kind of, come together and crystallize for for investors Mm -hmm. well these are
2: deep systems aren't they Quentin I mean they come up to surface obviously the uh, the mining that is planned is right at or near surface but I guess once you're able to mine you can keep drifting down into this uh, into these high grade uh, high grade sections do you have a sense of what sort of widths you might be looking at mining widths or is it too early to know
0: Look, like uh, these deposits generally deliver a high-grade, but albeit somewhat narrow, uh, mm-hmm. vein, You know, we don't call them veins, we call them loads. The reason we call mm-hmm. them loads is because if you look at the mineralization, what it is, is it's a fracture zone, about a meter, two meters wide, something like this, uh, in which numerable little tiny fractures uh, contain a very, very high-grade gold. Mm-hmm. They're persistent for long periods. Lengths along strike, but as you said to depth these things go for who knows how far they go down and down and down These are not shallow epithermal systems. They they they're deep-rooted. They're basically created by Magmas, uh, you know think of this as the throat of a volcano, okay? And somewhere down in the ground below this was a magma chamber, you know the mothership that was generating the fluids that produce these deposits and as that magma chamber cooled solidified crystallized the the elements like gold, which really can't find a home in in most rock-forming minerals, those metals get flushed out and they get flushed upwards into the fractures mm-hmm. in the ground above. So you know we're talking about a lot of runway uh, at depth. Uh, the mines uh, that come to mind, like Cripple Creek here in Colorado, is I think on the order of uh, thirteen hundred meters. The Porger mm-hmm. deposit, I believe, is at least that deep, if not deeper. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of uh, examples of very deep alkaline systems, all very high-grade. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news here is that
2: uh, Lion One, I believe, has permission to go ahead and start producing or to at least build a, a mine, right? They oh, can, they're fully fermented. yes. They are fully yes. for production. Right, and so and, that means that if, if they were just a junior that had to do all this deep drilling, uh, to prove up a deposit, it would be difficult and costly, but, but Lion One can actually start producing and then just continue to ramp down into this high-grade
0: uh, deposit. That is correct. Yes, the company is, is laying plans to go into production, like I said, and they've hired the staff to do it here recently. Look, uh, they have great staff to begin with, but the recent additions, uh, you know, Patrick Hickey, for example, uh, I've known for many years. He worked at Newmont about the same time I did. Uh, he knows how to build mines. That's his specialty. He built uh, mines. Uh, he built the Batu Hijau deposit in uh, Indonesia for Newmont. He built uh, Mbadabi for uh, for Sumitomo Corporation mm-hmm. in Madagascar. You know? So he knows how to he knows yeah. how to build mines on islands. How about that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's really important. And
2: uh, so the I, I mean the excitement here, as you pointed out before, these alkaline systems, and this is on a uh, this is a I mean there are a bunch of. Uh, targets, potential targets here. So you talk about Banana Creek, I think is the one you're looking at next, but if I recall, there's there's several uh, more of these systems that you're seeing evidence of on
0: surface, right? That's correct. Look, the, the corridor, the overall corridor is about seven kilometers across. Uh, we can see the alteration. We can see the signature of, of the potassium alteration from geophysical work. Uh, we've done CSAMT, which is an electrical technique looking at uh, structures in the ground, and we can see uh, large-scale structures, uh, deep feeder structures, uh, all the way up through that corridor. So we're going to start up at the northeast end, which is Banana Creek, but we'll we'll gradually uh, test areas in between Banana Creek and and Tuvatu. But then we'll also uh, chase the system southwest of Tuvatu, where we can see again deep-rooted structures underneath places like Ursa Creek and and. Uh, uh, targets uh, you know, at the southern end of the caldera. It's an amazing system. These systems tend to generate many millions of ounces. The nearby neighbor uh, Vaticola uh, has an endowment of 11 million ounces. I think it's produced around 7 million ounces. It has resources and reserves of another 4. These are absolutely prolific systems that make great mines. Uh, I think this will be one of them.
2: Uh, how long are we going to have to wait for assays? I mean, is there an assay uh, delay here for this
0: company? No, there is not. The, the company has its own analytic lab in Nandy, which is the this you know major city that's nearby the project. Uh, the samples are are cut. They're logged and then cut within say three or four days. Uh, the samples are delivered to the lab, and then it takes another two or three days to get assays. So, you know, on on the order of a week. And there's no delays right now from COVID. Uh, There was a a shutdown inside the country for about, I don't know, four or five weeks in late April and May. That's passed. Uh, Even though the COVID numbers, uh, the, the number of documented cases has gone up here recently, they have not shut the country down again. The company has definitely taken every necessary protocol to make sure the workers are safe, the communities around this area are safe, uh, but uh, right now it's all systems go, they can analyze samples quite quickly, uh, anything that, that tends to run over uh, a certain threshold, say a gram per ton, they ship those samples over to Brisbane to ALS in Australia and get a repeat assay to, to check. So. Uh, you know they have a really good protocol in place. Uh, everything's checked out. The repeat assays have uh, checked out consistently, and uh, you know it's one of the most delightful stories I, I'm working with because the assay, uh, you know, bottleneck is not an issue here. It, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's. I wish I had this. I wish I had yeah. my, own, my own assay lab elsewhere.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is a. It's been a problem with COVID and all of that, but. Uh, well funded are they uh, lion one is in good shape uh, to carry out its program this year
0: correct yeah look the company uh, through a raise last August and then uh, through exercise of warrants in september they uh, have a, a treasury around sixty million right now which is plenty mm-hmm. of money to uh, firstly undertake the exploration but also to get going with this uh, this mine plan that they have so uh, the company, you know, has really got, you know, enough critical mass now, cash-wise and people-wise and so forth, that yeah. it's it's all systems go.
2: What is your hunch? Um, do you, Does the company have a target date? Have they made it public when they might like to start producing? Is that... Okay. Have they-
0: they haven't uh, announced anything formally. I think there's uh, been, you know, press around it uh, in Fiji in particular, where, you know, obviously they want to see economic development. Mm-hmm. I'm talking around, you know, a couple-year time frame. I would say, you know, my gut says that that's possible, but the official timeline has not yet been set. Yeah. Uh, I think once uh, the, the new people get in place and they can kind of assess the situation, assess the logistics of, of getting the mine up and going i think we'll have a better picture of exactly how long this will take uh lots of work to be done by the way you know this is going to be the first time i'm working on a uh, a project where you have intensive exploration drilling uh in conjunction with uh, development i mean Mm -hmm. you can say that at beaton's creek but uh we actually had drilled out beaton's creek Mm -hmm. uh, then picked up the mill so (laughs) yeah now we're going back and drilling more obviously but uh but in this case, this is, uh, is going to be interesting to watch the, the company grow, you know, kind of catalyze itself and, and go from uh, uh, an exploration-only company to uh, a small producer.
2: Right, and the two seem to go together in this case. Uh, with the people that have been brought aboard, uh, the ability to, uh, to mine at depth and continue going down, you know, juniors, as I say, juniors to spend huge amounts of money to prove up enormous amounts of gold. It's very expensive, but in this case, if everything works out, you'll be able to produce and cash flow develop and grow organically internally. It's really quite a story, Quentin. Uh, Anything else?
0: Uh, That uh, pretty much sums it up. Look look for a steady stream of news out of the company. Now that everything's up and going, we should have a long stream of uh, assay results from all these rigs that are going.
2: Terrific. Well, thank you very much, Quentin, for, for giving us this, this update. It's excellent. Thank you so much. Well, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Patrick Highsmith will be with me, and uh, when he comes back, we'll, he'll be telling us about the exciting drill results uh, uh, and, and program that's going on with Firefox's uh, project in Finland. Very Another very exciting story you won't want to miss, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Patrick Highsmith.
3: Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries firefox gold trades on the tsx venture exchange under the symbol ffox go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates
4: sk mining corp trading under the symbol esk on the tsx venture and eskyf on the otcqb is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals rich vms deposits in the heart of british columbia's golden triangle SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates.
1: Welcome back to
2: Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me once again Patrick Highsmith. He is the chairman of Firefox Gold Corp. uh, That is a sponsor to this show and a company that I follow closely in my newsletter and uh, one that I personally hold shares in. Patrick has a distinguished career as a geologist, having worked with major mining companies like Rio Tinto, BHP Billiton, and Newmont. He has worked on more than 250 projects around the world through his career. Like some other experienced geoscientists, Patrick is using his talents uh, that he accumulated over the years to help a smaller exploration company to, to find the big deposits that major companies uh, have to rely on. Before I say hello to Patrick, I should tell you, Firefox trades in Toronto under the symbol FFOX, and you can buy it down in the States, as I have under FFOXF, 99.5 million shares, outstanding, giving it a market cap of around $30 million right now. Patrick, thank you so much for
5: joining me again. Well, thank you, Jay. It's uh, great to be with you.
2: It's really good to have you uh, with us. Just for the sake of those who may not be familiar with the Firefox story, uh, can you quickly tell us why Firefox Gold has chosen to be active in Finland? Not only are you active there, but you've really picked up a big chunk of ground.
5: That's right, Jay. We built Firefox in 2017 to be entirely targeted on Finland. Our CEO, Carl Lufberg, is based in Finland. Most of our team is based in Finland. And the reasons for that, Jay, when you're doing exploration for gold, you, you know you go where the gold is, mm-hmm. and of course geologically that really comes first. But here have a special circumstance. There's a greenstone belt in northern Finland with one major gold mine operated by Agnico Eagle, and now a second major discovery by Rupert Resources. But it's really underexplored, Jay. So, so geologically, of course, we want to go to places with a high probability of success and the right rocks. But let's not forget, I mean, Finland's a great place to work. It's one of the most stable governments in the world. It is among the lowest in the world in corruption. The infrastructure is spectacular. We have paved highways and international airports north of the Arctic Circle, crisscrossing our properties. We have paved highways and, and power lines. And also, the mining law, quite frankly, is is transparent, uh, you know, well-structured, and easy to understand in both Finnish and English. So it's a great place to explore as well, Jay.
2: You know, I have to start out really by asking you about your June 17th announcement. Spectacular uh, assay that you reported, 93.88 grams per ton of gold over 1.35 meters on their uh, Mustajarvi project in Finland. I know that is probably the one that's most advanced uh, project, but aside from the drill hole, Intersections and that exceptionally rich grade. What can you tell us about what you know about this Mustajärvi project, and what are your plans for the, uh, in particular, uh, for that target?
5: Yes, Jay. We just announced those new high grade intercepts at Mustajärvi in mid June. So we are right now developing our strategy to follow up on that. And and I just want to point something out. It's quite significant. We believe when you encounter what we call bonanza grade. Uh, gold on an exploration project. And bonanza grade is, is an old term, Jay. It's actually kind of an informal term, but it's been defined as deposits containing more than about 34 grams per ton or, or veins containing more than a, about 34 grams per ton or one ounce per ton. Mm-hmm. Now, the World Gold Council also goes so far as to define a, a, a high-quality underground mine as those averaging 8 to 10 grams per ton. Mm-hmm. So so when we intersect something like uh, 1.35 meters of 93.88 grams per ton, clearly that's a Bonanza-grade vein, and we need to understand more about it. These high-grade deposits can be quite spectacular uh, if that's the, the, the nature of the mineralization that eventually becomes a mine. Or maybe they're indicating, uh, you know, the top of a system where maybe the grades are lower at depth, but there's thicker intercepts. Mm-hmm. Of them. So we have a number of questions to address, Jay. Is, mm-hmm. is there a lot more of the Bonanza grade? In which case, our ultimate target is an underground mine with these sorts of of excellent grades. Or do we need to test the roots of this system? Some textures in this rock look like we might be in the epizonal or more shallower portions of the deposit. So right now, the team's gathering in Finland and and reviewing a lot of core and, and looking at a lot of data. And we're sort of determining in our 2021 and 2022 drilling, what are the next steps? Obviously, there will be close step outs around this Bonanza grade Uh intercept, Jay. Uh There are several other Bonanza grade intercepts along this stretch of at least one and a half kilometers of the structure that we've already identified. So more drilling is coming. Some of those will be quite close step outs Uh around that high grade to really nail it down and and see if that's the best or is there even better grade down there. But we'll also be testing uh, these clusters of other grade along the structure because, as you know, we have more assays still coming on this property. We've only seen the results from three holes out of the 11 that we just drilled. Well,
2: we're going to be watching closely for them, that's for sure. And then also uh, be interested in uh, when you talk more about your drill plans. uh, I suppose you'll be making an announcement in that regard. Uh, This project, Mustard Jarvie, is, is certainly not the only project. I guess It's the most advanced so far. But you are expecting to have four drill-ready projects by September. Can you talk a little bit about the other
5: uh, prospects that you're going to be working on? Of course. We are, as you pointed out, a large uh, holder of tenements in Lapland. We have about 800 square kilometers of, of prospective ground. And and has been with us since the beginning. It's fully permitted and drill-ready. And, and as we've said, we've got a lot more drilling to do there. But we will have, by late summer or, or September, a total of four projects that are drill ready, Jay. We've now uh, drilled on three of them. The fourth one called Sarvi is coming very soon. The market's sort of watching that one because it adjoins Rupert's discovery at Area 1. And so we see it as a bit of a pipeline of projects, Jay, and there's, there's a logic for that. Sure, we, we've hit gold on, on more than one property. We've got anomalies on these, these several that I've just been talking about. But in an emerging belt like this, we don't know where the next discovery is coming from, quite frankly. So having a lot of land is often the way that a major company plays these belts. But here in Lapland, there are only about four juniors and two majors that control the whole belt. And we're one of those major players, Jay, and we're the only one, by the way, uh, that doesn't have a major investment from a a strategic shareholder uh, like another mining company or a a joint venture partner. So Firefox shareholders on 100% of our potential, and uh, we have something like 11 total projects, four of which will be drill ready by late summer.
2: And a market cap, as I said, of only around $30 million in Canadian money. Well, you this uh, this SARVI project is right next to Rupert's discovery. Could you talk a little bit about that? And do you think it, it may be a continuation of Rupert? Or is it similar geology? What's the story
5: there? Absolutely. Uh, our SARVI project has been showing up in our presentation and, and on our maps for some time. But, of course, uh, mechanized exploration isn't allowed in Finland until the permits are granted. So we've done geophysics there. We've done till sampling, the sort of things that aren't uh, obtrusive or or don't disturb much ground. So uh, the permit process has been through its hearing. We know that permit is coming very soon, uh, perhaps within the next month. So what's significant about it, Jay, is not just its location, but in our business, We look for analogs to to other successful projects and major discoveries. So just as Mustiarvi is in a very similar setting to Rupert's discovery, uh, similar rocks along a major structure, and we see the same sort of chemistry, gold going with bismuth and tellurium. So that's one thing that got us excited about Mustiarvi was it has similarities. Here at Sarvi, not only do we see uh, similar volcanic rocks, immediately along Rupert's northern boundary. But we also see these important cross-structures, Jay. They, they were late in the gold-forming process. They, they may have hosted a lot of the gold-forming process, and we geologists refer to them in Finland as the D3 structures, mm-hmm. meaning the third deformation event. So so those structures crosscut Rupert. We can see them in the magnetics, and they actually come up and extend onto the Sarvi property uh, as interpreted from our airborne magnetics. So now we have similar rocks, some of the same structures coming onto our ground and the sampling we have been able to do without doing mechanized exploration has yielded some gold anomalies in the glacial sediments that cover everything jay remember in this part of finland yeah. you can't just walk out and break off a piece of rock usually it's covered by a few meters of glacial sediments and so we sample the till and as we've reported previously in our samples of some of the till along some of those structures we've identified about a over 100 little micro nuggets of gold that the wow. glaciers have moved around. Uh-huh. So that means there's some gold kicking around somewhere, usually from not too far away, so at uh, SARVI, immediately we will begin with some more uh, mechanized forms of till sampling. We've already done more geophysics even this year. And we'll be honing in on targets to see if we can find more analogs to the drilling by Rupert at Ickery, which is less than five kilometers away to our south, Jay. So we're pretty encouraged about SARVI.
2: Yeah, indeed. And, and beyond your four uh, drill-ready projects that you're looking to uh, begin drilling on uh, and continuing to drill on. I think something like 800 square kilometers that you have. You're, you've got your team out there looking for new targets beyond those four.
5: Absolutely right. Uh, while while, we're, while we'll be drilling on, on probably all four of the properties during the winter of 2021 and 2022, Jay, on the earlier stage properties, we are conducting till sampling. We're conducting airborne magnetics over those properties. Some of these, like our Colho property, which is just northeast of Rupert and east of the Sarvi area we were just talking about, is a huge property, 150 square kilometers in one property. We've got a huge till sample database from the Geological Survey of Finland, which we have paid to have reanalyzed for gold for the first time. So that database has now just been generated. So now we know where there are historic anomalies to go visit, huge property like that, no drilling that we know of along these structures and a very similar setting to, uh, to the setting that led to the Icary discovery. So, so that's just one of the big properties. And some of these adjoin Agnico Eagle's mine property to the north near the Kitula mine. And others are along the, the famous Serka break, one of the major throughgoing structures that controls the gold in this part of the world. So really prospective portfolio. And, uh, geologists are, are using the, uh, the midnight sun in Finland right now to get out there prospecting on those.
2: Yeah. Ah, indeed. Long days up there. Well, just to summarize now, we're, we're just about out of time. How well funded are you to carry out your program this year? And then maybe just give our listeners an idea of what sort of share price drivers that uh, people should keep their eyes on going forward.
5: Yes, Jay. That's the best part of the story, frankly. <laughs> After our, our oversubscribed financing uh, that we closed in, uh, I guess it was early June, um, we, we don't need money for, for quite quite a long time now, Jay. We have well over $3 million in the bank. We have a lot of in-the-money warrants that if things continue to go well could easily translate to uh, doubling or tripling the treasury from where it is now. So with that sort of the excitement of having the pressure off the stock, when you're in a tough market and people who know you need to finance. Now people can look for execution from Firefox. And so we have about 10,000 meters of drilling planned, Jay, over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, That'll go up and down depending on results, of course. So uh, a lot of news flow. And as I said, Eight more drill holes coming from the Bonanza-grade Mustiarvi property. Uh, Those will be coming out over the summer. and, uh, And we'll also be reporting on the earlier stage exploration, sort of intermingled with that. This is the busy field season to get ready for drilling again, Jay, which will start in about September or October. And then we go right through the winter again, just as we did uh, last year. So Firefox is in a great situation. Uh, n- no need to finance anytime time in the foreseeable future. And a heck of a pipeline of projects with a lot of drill targets looming.
2: All right. Very exciting. We'll have to leave it go at that, Patrick. Thank you so much for spending time with us and uh, updating us on this very exciting story. We'll look to do it again sometime in the not-too-distant future, hopefully. Well, folks, don't go away because Alistair McLeod will be with me right after the commercial break to talk about the dilemma the Federal Reserve has gotten itself into and what will that mean for the financial markets. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod.
3: Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Labrador
4: Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project, located in Central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back to Any Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod. Alistair writes a very insightful weekly letter. Every Thursday you can go to Gold Money, go to the research page at goldmoney.com uh, to download Alistair's latest thoughts on the markets, and they are uh, very weighty thoughts, and I, I think he, he really delves into the nuts and bolts and you know what the underlying dynamics are. And so if you really care about Not just what is happening, but why things are happening so you can sort of understand and plan for the future. I think this is really, it's a must read for me and I think any serious investor uh, that understands free market economics would see it that way. I've uh, titled it a show between a rock and a hard place. Can the Fed escape the trap it's in? And what I mean by a rock and a hard place is that the Fed has put itself in a no-win situation by meddling in the capital markets to an ever-increasing degree ever since Nixon removed gold from the dollar in 1971. By printing money, the Fed has enabled the U.S. to run chronic budget and trade deficits that have now left the U.S. essentially bankrupt, especially since interest rates are negative in real terms. Until recent years, the Fed could depend on the net export nations recycling their dollars that they earn from the United States uh, back into the U.S. Treasuries to fund U.S. debt. But given negative real interest rates, virtually all the serious foreign purchasers of U.S. Treasuries have now come to an end. To pretend that all is well, the Fed now is in a position of having to buy the lion's share of new Treasury debt in order to keep interest rates from rising and equity prices elevated. They, they need to keep elevated, uh, ex- uh, equity prices elevated more important than ever because thanks to interest rate suppression uh, over the years, investors of all stripes have had to buy risky stocks rather than, safe U.S. Treasuries to gain reasonable returns. And as a result of that financial repression, the real economy, the productive sector, has been getting weaker and weaker while the financial sector continues to experience the benefits of inflation, allowing the rich to get richer as the middle class seems to be heading towards extinction. The logical answer, the right answer to fund America's debt would be to let interest rates rise to the level that the Fed would not have to go out and print money to fund it. The market would buy it. That's what Paul Volcker did in 1980, and it brought us uh, decades, actually decades of prosperity. For reasons that uh, Alistair can explain for sure, I'm I'm sure he can, the Fed can no longer do that. And because the Fed can no longer allow markets to allocate financial resources, we run the risk of a major inflationary problem. To help us understand that, again, I'm really pleased that Alistair is with us. Thanks for joining us again, Alistair.
6: That's my pleasure,
2: Jay. It's always good to have you. And before we get into this uh, between the rock and a hard place topic that the Fed finds itself in. I would like to ask you, uh, since you've talked about Basel III and, and the potential for that to disrupt or to um, provide some upside for the gold and silver markets, we find out that Britain has exempted the clearing banks from, the, from those regulations. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, why do you think they did that, and what do you think the repercussions if any will be that they are not allowing those Basel restrictions to go into effect?
6: Well, firstly, the the, the Basel uh, restrictions are going into effect. Let's make that clear. Mm-hmm. The objective of the um, net stable funding ratio, which is the, um, if you like, the the main uh, thing in this Basel three, uh, is is to do away with risky assets on the mm-hmm. balance sheet of banks being financed by short-term uh, deposits. So that's that that is the overall objective, mm-hmm. and it absolutely clear that the message that uh, the bank of international settlements got from the g20 is they've got to get the banking sector out of this enormous pile of derivatives i mean we're talking about what 580 trillion dollars nominal of um uh, of of um uh, derivatives mm-hmm. so- it, you've got to look at it in that light. Now, what they have done, what basically, um, as you know, America and uh, the um, European Union are now regulated um, by Basel III. That actually happened at the beginning of this month or in the EU's case, the end of the last month. So that's happened. Um The UK is going to um, uh, adopt these regulations um, uh, at the beginning of next year, January the 2nd, 2022 Mm -hmm. is the actual date. Now, uh, basically, uh, the the, uh, PRA, which is the regulator within the Bank of England that, that deals with banks, has adopted all the Basel III regulations so far as I can see or mm-hmm. um, well, certainly where they matter. There is one exception, and that is a clause, which is Article 428F, if you really want to know the details, Paragraph mm-hmm. 1, which permits the operation of the London Precious Metals Clearing Limited and its owners to continue acting as a central counterparty following the introduction of the net stable funding rules. And it is subject to the prudential regulatory authority granting permission to each of the banks involved with it now these are the f- uh, four big banks that mm-hmm. from memory they are um, uh, jp morgan hsbc standard chartered and um uh, ubs those mm-hmm. four banks can do it now they're very very strict um criteria uh, behind this rule change and basically what it means is that the only thing that they can act, do, acting, uh, if you like, as a central counterparty, is just to clear the market's trades. Mm-hmm. Now, every day, uh, the unallocated uh, balances will clear. They clear anyway because yeah. you've got a buyer and a seller. So they clear. Right. Mm-hmm. The, 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 only, the only time where there is something different is where there is a delivery involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that, again, clears a buyer and a seller, but it clears it not by scrubbing one off against the other, but by delivering gold itself. Okay, So that is the extent of the derogation that the LBMA has. Mm -hmm. The second part of 428F, um, the second paragraph, um, actually... Uh, uh says how um member member banks of the uh, of of the um lbma uh, can actually trade in future mm-hmm. and it's rather like this the, effectively the bank of england has said you can continue to trade but no derivatives mm-hmm. I, and i mean almost as blunt as that uh-huh. so they have got to do if they you know if a bank wants to um uh, offer a service an unallocated account service or even an allocated account service, allocated is slightly different because that's off balance sheet, but an unallocated um, uh, 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 gold service to its customers, then it has to have on the asset side of its balance sheet real physical gold to match. Ah, okay. Yeah. And that's new. This is new. So what this is doing is it is changing the LBMA forward market from a derivative market to a physical market Mm -hmm. this is a major major implication which nobody really seems to me to have picked up
2: they don't seem to have picked it up if i i see people uh, on the internet basically saying oh yeah much ado about nothing uh, that McLeod uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. Sure I
6: <laughs> well, that's that. That may be true, but
2: I'm not going to admit. To <laughs> well, it if is. I if you can be sure, if I thought that was true, I wouldn't have you on this show uh, so often.
6: Oh, that's very uh, kind.
2: So, uh, but no, I, that's that's very interesting, and that's very important. Then that that is new, and it hasn't essentially hasn't had an impact yet, but but is likely to longer term, I would think.
6: Uh, yes. I mean, the. the, the um, it's difficult to judge the impact. I mean, the first thing I would say is that without um, the ability to print um, unallocated gold out of thin air, if I can put it that way, mm-hmm. um, this market is going to become more volatile. That is for sure. And I think, I think any commentator would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing which I don't think people have paid much attention to is that, the reason these markets, both uh, forwards and futures, um, have been allowed, if you like, by the deep thinkers in the states, to expand is they absorb demand for gold and silver and platinum group metals that would otherwise go into the physical and drive right. the price of physical higher. Right. So the next question is um, the uh, the replacement of um, uh, of the uh, uh, forward derivatives with physical metal what's that going to do to demand for physical metal Good. now we don't get any useful statistics out of uh, the um uh, the lbma but if we go to the bank of international settlements they tell us at half yearly intervals what the outstanding forwards and swaps in gold are and uh, at uh, the end of December last last year, the total outstanding was $530 billion. <laughs> now, at the price of the time, that translates into 8,675 tons of gold. <laughs> wow. Now, yeah. um, I, 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 I would certainly not claim that um, all the people who, um, you know, sort of hold – um, forward positions in uh, the, the uh, London gold market um, w- would continue to deal. I mean, I can't, can't claim that at all, but I can mm-hmm. say two things. I think there will be an element who will want uh, to own gold or exposure to gold um, as opposed to uh, exposure to dollars or euros or sterling. Uh, and so consequently, they will want to hold gold. Now, I have been talking to um, a number of people in the market, and uh, I understand that even now, if you are a very large trader, very large dealer, very large fund, uh, you could probably negotiate um, a a figure of less than 10 basis points to maintain an allocated account through a bullion bank in the London market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this basically, it, it seems to me what's going to happen is that the replacement of um, uh, uh, physical for uh, four deals is likely to lead to at least, and I think it's probably a reasonable assessment, at least half that 8,675 tons being demanded in London to replace them. So this is going to create demand for physical gold. Now, at what price this is likely to be supplied in the market remains to be seen. Sure. But you see that this is a very, very important development. Very, very significant.
2: Yeah, because a lot of people think they own gold when they just own the paper gold, and they're not even aware, I think, uh, that they're not really owning the real thing. So
6: Correct. Uh, yeah. Correct. The, yeah. The, the other thing which is interesting uh, is the uh, potential effect on uh, ETFs. I mean, if the ETFs like GLD, for example, um, if you have got uh, bullion banks in London pushing um, an allocated service or what amounts to an allocated service or call it a, a pooled service, if you like. Uh, then, um, you know, at a figure, say, between 10 and 20 basis points, depending how big you are, this is considerably cheaper than owning ETFs uh, where you've got, uh, you know, all this, the, the fees of a structure, including sure. management fees and so on and so forth so um you know that's going to be an interesting effect on the ecf market mm-hmm. um so all in all i you know we i, I wouldn't dismiss this this change um mm-hmm. i think it is very important now the reason that it is being introduced this way is that the banking um uh, community if i can call it that um in the uk has to Uh, have time to adjust, um, you know, their, uh, let's say, their treasury policies um, and uh, their business plans um, for the new regulations. So what they're getting is um, pretty well finalized regulations presented six months early so that they can plan for -hmm. this event. So that's why the whole thing is working the way it is. But I think this is this is major um, and uh, very interesting. And, um, you know, on a net basis, I see it as being really quite positive for the gold price and also, of course, for the silver price.
2: Yeah. And and what about some of the other commodities? Not so much, perhaps copper and those things tend to be uh, not so much paper markets as they are actual physical markets, I think
6: well that you still yeah, that's true but you, you don't have um, a, a, if you like a formal uh, forward market such as the LBMA yes. uh-huh. but you do have futures for example yes. Yes. um And uh, that's going to be subject to exactly the same rules. So I think that, um, you know, the paper liquidity in general for all commodities and particularly energy commodities, which is another consideration, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the, the liquidity is going to uh, contract, I think, quite sharply, which Mm -hmm. which again is likely to have an effect on the commodity markets, driving prices higher. Interesting. Well,
2: I thank you very much for that uh, clarification, Alistair, because there's a lot of confusion out in the markets and a lot of uh, people that were sort of licking their chops, hoping to see an instant spike up in gold prices. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, but I think you've, you've explained it very well. Thank you for that. Well, with the remaining time that we have, and there's not a whole lot left, uh, let's talk about the Fed between a rock and a hard place. In your June 17th missive titled uh, Too Much Liquidity, you stated, and I quote, yesterday, the OFA- F." OMC released its June statement, which only served to remind us that its members are powerless in the face of inflation conditions. They they refuse to accept the price consequences of monetary inflation, still clinging clinging on to an increasingly untenable hope that price rises are transitory. End of quote. Now I notice, Alistair, that um, you know the the treasury markets have gotten stronger; interest rates have have been going down recently, the last couple of weeks anyway, uh, prompting some people like Jim Rickards and others to say, well, no, I think maybe it is transitory. Can't you see what's happening? Uh, Treasuries wouldn't be going up in value and interest rates down if we were heading towards inflation. What do you say to that argument?
6: Well, I think uh, trying to equate uh, economics with the market is is not um, the best way to look at it. I mean, the fact of the matter is that uh, this inflation spike has been front-run by traders in the market. Mm-hmm. They knew it was coming, so uh, they drove uh, the yields on, let's say, the 10-year, for example, up. Um, and so you've had a quite natural reaction, and uh, it actually came back to the 200-day moving average and has since then bounced from about 1.29 percent i think we're currently about one i don't know 139 or something mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's it's definitely um bounced somewhat um but the the, the problem uh, that the fed has i mean you're right it is a rock and a hard place because uh between its qe which is you know since last october it's Round about um, a short trillion, if you like, has been pushed into financial markets. And on top of that, you've had spending from the government drawing down on its general account to the tune of about a further trillion dollars. So you had two trillion dollars of cash basically <laughs> drilling around the system. And uh-huh. the, problem, the problem is that the big banks don't have the balance sheet capacity to handle it. So, you know, they're turning away um, big deposits. And incidentally, Basel III says we don't favour big corporate deposits because they can walk out the door at no, you know, no notice whatsoever and, uh, you know, leave a bank. In trouble. So, you know, there is every reason why big banks don't want large corporate deposits. So, consequently, uh, we have a situation where, um, uh, you know, a bank might not turn away a deposit, but turn around and say, well, um, you'll have to pay us interest if we're going to take it on our balance sheet. It's crazy. Uh, you know, which is negative rates. So this is why the repo, um, uh, the reverse repo market has been activated so strongly. I Mm -hmm. mean, they've absorbed, uh, in rough terms, uh, about a trillion dollars, if you like, of cash in the system to try and keep rates where um, they want it, which is sort of zero to, uh, I don't know a quarter of a percent or whatever the, mm. <laughs> the FOMC target is um, so that is the rock and the hard place in, in 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 one aspect another aspect of it is that of course they require a, a perpetual bull market and We now have a a problem that all the money printing over the last few years, and particularly in the last year, uh, is now leading to rising prices. I mean, firstly, in commodities, and it's feeding through into uh, high street prices. Now, this basically means that at some stage, sooner or later, and I think it's going to be very soon, interest rates are going to have to rise. Mm -hmm. What happens then? The bubble in the equity market pops. What does the Fed then do? It can't cut its it can't cut its QE. It would have to increase it instead of 120 billion. It's going to go up to 200 billion, mm-hmm. and if that doesn't stop it, 300 billion. So you can see where they've got themselves. There is no exit for the Fed out of this dif- difficulty that I can see. So it has to keep
2: printing more and more money to keep rates suppressed uh, and to keep equities elevated, or else the whole thing just just implodes. Right.
6: Yeah, it's particularly to keep financial markets elevated. And we're talking about bond yields down, equity prices up. Uh-huh. That is why the pension funds and the insurance funds get between them $120 billion a month from the Fed in exchange for U.S. Yeah. Treasury debt and agency debt.
2: Mm-hmm. With just a couple of minutes left, then, what we're looking at um, is, is really very much akin, as you've explained before, uh, to, the, uh, to the Mississippi bubble. It seems as though the Fed has to keep buying uh, treasuries in ever increasing amounts to to try to perpetuate the myth that everything is fine, everything is is, is okay. Otherwise, uh, but but eventually, I mean, we had a 5.4 percent CPI today. What does that do to our to our day to our real interest rates right now? And well, you yeah, I mean, you give us tell us real quickly why you think. Uh, foreigners are going to start dumping treasuries, because I think that's the key here.
6: Well, the key, yes, I mean, the, um, if you're a foreigner and you see that uh, you're getting zero interest on your deposits and you begin to think, uh, I need to protect my profits um, in the equity market, uh, then, you know, you're already, if you like, in the sprinting blocks to get out. I mean, it's as simple yeah. as that. Mm -hmm. And there's about 31 trillion, incidentally, I think it's 31 trillion of foreign money invested in financial assets and cash deposits in the banking system. This is, um, you know, not a trivial amount.
2: (laughs) I would say that's right. 31 trillion. It was not a trivial amount. Alistair will have to leave it go at that. Thank you so much. Uh, Folks, you do need to go to gold money. Go to that research page. Go there. Read what Alistair has to say in great, you know, we just don't have the time. For him to to reflect on all these important issues, but go there and you'll uh, you'll be able to understand in great de- greater depth uh, what Alistair's talking about on these points. So thank you so much for being with us again, Alistair. My pleasure, uh, folks. That is it for this week. Next week, John Rubino, Mike Oliver, and John Watson and Ben B Gold will be with me. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
6: NV Gold Corporation, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi million ounce gold deposit in Nevada with an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2021, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors, a globally recognized technical team, report coverage from industry gold experts, and a strong treasury. Visit
3: NV Gold Corporation corp.com to learn more on this exciting story